didn't inter- <clears throat> excuse me, dinner did not introduce Wayne this morning. Don't figure Wayne needs an introduction. He's uh, he's one of our own. He'll be uh, in pulpit this week and next week, and the following week we uh, the music. Uh, search committee has an interim that they will be presenting to you. She'll be meeting, she will be meeting with the choir this coming Wednesday and probably the next Wednesday and might even be in the room and you just don't know it. All right, let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer right quick. Father, our faith sometimes tends to feel so impersonal, and you're out there somewhere, and we do what we do every day, and we intersect on Sundays, and we come to church, and we hear about you, and, and we have that, you know, sometimes we pick up some extra knowledge. But Lord, if you're living in our hearts, then there needs to be a, a deeper recognition. Don't need just be head stuff. We need to know that you're with us. And I pray in this hour, you do that. Let your spirit take the words that we say and apply to our hearts. That's a good church phrase. Wake us up. Whisper in our ears. Lord, I pray if there's somebody in here, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in this room with folks, with folks that are sick and people they love that are hurting and all kinds of stuff that's going on, Lord. And if they need a word, we need our word of you whispering in our ear, I know, I'm there, it's going to be okay. Help us to hear that this morning. Speak it to us, Father, in a way that we can't walk out of here and think it was the pizza that we had yesterday that we know that we know that we know that we've had a word from the Lord I'm counting on you I know it's not my job it's yours so father we pray in Jesus name amen go ahead and if you would and open your Bibles to John chapter 1 starting with verse 43 it's John chapter 1 verse 43 if you don't have a Bible with you there's Bibles in the pew racks You can pick it up. John's about two-thirds of the way through. It's not the first, second, third John. It's John the Gospel. And hang on to that because I've got to tell you a story this morning. And it's a story that you've got to know in order for this, in order for, for you to get the full impact of this scripture. Because Jesus in this scripture alludes back to this story very subtly. And, and you've got to know the story for it to, for it to come to you. So, once upon a time, it's a true story. We're going to tell it to you like a story. Once upon a time, there was a daddy, a mama, and two twin boys. And the two twin boys were a hot mess. They did not like each other. They did not get along. It was two twin boys. There was so much rivalry between these two boys that they made mama's pregnancy miserable. Now, I've not seen a pregnancy that that didn't have its miserable moments with the people that I've been involved with that have had babies, but this woman's pregnancy was so 
hard and so difficult because the kids moved around, they were fighting in the womb, that mama actually prayed to God, why is this happening to me? And maybe you've prayed that, but she was, something's up. What is going on? And God spoke to her. Well, time passed, things moved on. The boys were born, they grew up, they started doing their own thing. Everybody got older, and here's daddy. Daddy is very, very old, and daddy is very, very blind. And daddy knew that he wasn't going to live forever. He knew his time was coming. And back then, it was very, very important for the father to convey a blessing on the son, on the oldest son. So the oldest son would come in, and dad would place his hands on him, and he would pronounce a blessing on him of prosperity and all the kinds of things that you're going to lead the family and he becomes essentially the new dad of the whole clan that was the whole point of doing all of that so dad told his oldest son who was his favorite because he was a hunter and dad liked hunters so he told his oldest son, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out into the woods and kill us some wild game. And when you get home, I want you to cook up that food that you know I love so much and bring it back. Me and you will have supper. And then when supper's over, I'll confer the blessing on you. And so the older son hops up and takes off and heads to the woods. And mama is listening. This marriage had issues. This marriage had serious issues. Because, see, mama, mama's favorite son was the younger twin. See, the older twin went out into the woods and did all of his things and came back to daddy. The younger twin wasn't particularly so hip on going out in the woods. He stayed home with mama, so mama loved him best. So mama comes up to him and she says, son, here's what I want you to do. I just heard your dad talk about he's going to bless your older brother. So I want you to go out in the pens and bring me two of the best goats that we have. I'm going to cook those bad boys up so good that when your daddy tastes them, it's going to make you be able to see again. It's going to be so good. And I'm going to, uh, you're going to serve him that stew. And since the old man's as blind as a bat, he won't be able to see who it is. And he'll put the blessing on you. Now here's where we get to find out the character of this younger son. Because what he should have said was, no ma'am, I'm not going to do that. Heaven forbid that I would cheat my brother out of his birthright. I would cheat my brother out of his blessing. I would deceive my daddy. But instead of doing any of that, he said, mama, you know, if I do that, I'm going to get caught. Because you see, mom, my brother's hairy like a gorilla. And my skin is just as soft as a baby's behind. And when my daddy touches me, He's going to know. And mama says, ah, Padwan, I've got that one all figured out. I'm going to take that goat that we make the stew out of, and I'm going to take their skins, and I'm going to make you some gloves that extend up your arms, and I'm going to make a, a, a scarf that will go across the back of your neck. And when your daddy comes up and touches that, he'll know that that's the skin of your brother. Ladies, don't that make you want to go out with that guy? His skin feels like goat skin. It gets even better. He goes, but mama, even with that, I won't smell like my brother. She says, oh, contraire, my young son. You're going to wear his best clothes. And this thing's going to work, I promise you. 
So they take off on their nefarious little plot, and they do everything, and the young son goes into dad. He's nervous. He's afraid he's going to get caught, but he's willing to play a part in this deception. So he goes into his dad, and the dad says, you say you're the older one, but you sound like the younger one. Come over here so I can feel you. And he feels the goat skin, and he goes, mm, it feels like the older son, but I'm still not certain. Come a little closer so I can smell you. And he gets closer, and he says, quote, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Ladies, I know that turns you on because that means he smells like a fleshly, freshly plowed and fertilized field. He feels like a goat and he smells like a field that just had chicken manure strewn all over it. Don't that sound great? <laughs> There's always one. So dad says, hey, this is cool. And he eats this meal, and the meal is dynamite, and then he blesses the sun, and the sun slips out, and the sun has no more slipped out. Then the older brother comes in, and he goes, Dad, I've got that mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich that you like so much. It's ready to go. It's fresh. You're going to love this thing. And Daddy, it says, literally starts to shake. He breaks out in a cold sweat, and he tells his older son, I've been tricked. And I've given your blessing away, and there's nothing left for you. And the younger son, the older son didn't take that so well, and he got angry, and, and he's, he's brokenhearted, and he, it says he wails, and then he leaves his dad, and he's furious, and he tells all of his friends, as soon as the old man croaks, I'm killing my brother. You mark my words, as soon as he's gone, he is dead meat. Well, here's mama again. Mama hears it, and Mama decides, well, you know what? <laughs> we tricked the old man once, we can trick him again. So he goes into Dad and says, you know, you need to send your son off and, 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 and get him a wife back from our hometown. You know how these local girls are? We don't really want a local girl. Let's send him off. And Dad says, well, that sounds good to me. Yup, yup. And so he sends his son off, and there he goes. And then he goes and camps out one night. He doesn't have a my pillow. He lays his head on a rock and he goes to sleep. And as he sleeps, he has a vision. And in that vision, and in that vision, he hears he sees a ladder. Clouds open up. There's a ladder that extends from heaven to the earth. Angels are going up and down that ladder. And he hears the voice of God saying that a lot of things, but then he says, All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And he wakes up, and he realizes that he's in a holy place, and that God has spoken to him, and he leaves, but he leaves a changed man. Something's different about him at this point. This is the story of Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, and Jacob. It's found in Genesis 26 through 28. You ought to go home and read it sometime this week. It's, got, it's, it's really a very, very good story, and it's got intrigue, and all. you can feel the tension in it. it. It really would make a good TV show, I'm telling you. It's really, really cool. You need to know that, but you have to know that in order to understand this. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. 
Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. All right, in the story, Jesus is ready to leave. He's been where John the Baptist has been for a few days. Now it's time for him to move on. He's called three men. He's about to call two more men. And first, he calls Philip. Now, when when you read the scripture, listen to the words very carefully. It says that Jesus found Philip. And I I don't think I'm taking this too far because this is a theological principle. We always talk about looking for the Lord and trying to find the Lord When we find him, what we do is we're responding to him who has already found us. He's found us already and he's calling out to us. And we finally, our eyes open and we respond to him. He found Philip. It was an accident. He didn't accident into Jesus. Jesus went looking for him. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, and this is not going to float your boat at all, but this is the kind of thing I like to see when I'm reading these, and you see all the little ins and outs of it, because this fishing image is used several little times, and it's just hinted, and it's sort of cute, and y'all are going to hate it. It just won't matter to you, but it was fun to me. Bethsaida, where he's from, Bethsaida. Beth means house. Anytime you see that, Bethel, house of God, uh, Bethesda, I don't know what that means. Anything that starts with a Beth, that's a house. Bethsaida is the house of fishing. It's fish city. That's what we would call it. These guys were fishermen and they lived in fish city. That's sort of cool to me. I just thought it was sort of cute. Anyway, they live in fish city. Philip, only two of the disciples had Greek names. One's Philip. If your name's Philip, it means you love horses. The other was Andrew. Andrew means manly. Where's Andrew Hammond, I know I saw you. There you are, Andrew. When you walk out, man, just stand up straight and tall. Stick that chest out because your name means manly. So here we've got, we've got Philip and Andrew and Peter, all fishermen from Fish City. They probably knew each other before Jesus got there. They were a group of friends who found something important that they wanted to share with a group of friends. You hear that? You understand that? That's what we do when we find something important to us. We want to share it with our group of friends. That's what we want to make sure that we do with Jesus is share him with our friends. Philip found Nathaniel, again, not accidentally, but on purpose. He found him and said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Now, we're going to say this a million times, so get ready for it. How do we know we're seeing Jesus? How do we know we're seeing Jesus? That's why we're studying what we're studying. So that when you go about your day every day, you know when you're seeing Jesus. How do we know we're seeing Jesus here? A lot of people tell us things about Jesus that aren't Jesus. A lot of things tell us things about religion that have nothing to do with God. They're just things that we've picked up over time. A lot of books have been published by a lot of people who have all kinds of ideas. How do you know which ones are true? We hold them up against the scripture because that's our source of revelation of God. 
And if they go along with the scripture, then you need to sit down and listen and learn. But if they don't, or if it's somebody's new revelation, or they say, what this scripture really means, hmm, good whistle, what this scripture really means is this, or they don't talk about the scripture at all, I'm telling you guys, when you're watching your preachers on television, just because they hold the book up in the air don't mean they're preaching the word. you got to hear what they're saying. Does it go along with the scripture? If it does, listen. If it doesn't, run. God only does what Jesus does in the scripture. He tells us if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Scripture's a reference point. Nathaniel knew the scripture. Now, how do we know that Nathaniel knew the scripture? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, that could be one of two things, and I think it's got a little bit of both in it. One of them is, is there was rivalry between the cities. When I was a little boy in Austell, Georgia, I was told, and, and I think a couple of you are from Ackworth, I was told never to go to Ackworth. I was. You don't go to Ackworth because those Ackworth folks are rednecks. There you go. And they are raw bone men who will beat you. You will not go up there without getting in a fight. This is what I was told when I was a kid. So we didn't go to Ackworth. We stayed away from Ackworth because those guys were rednecks and we were going to go up there and get in a fight and that's not what I wanted to do. Maybe that's what's going on here is they're saying, you know, Nazareth, eh, Maybe there's some city rivalry, but I think there's a little something else going on here. If you go home today and go to BibleGateway.com, I use BibleGateway.com and I use BLB.org. Those are the two Bible apps that I use on the computer. Help me do looking into stuff. If you go to BibleGateway.com and you type in the word Bethlehem, you will find out that it is mentioned 43 times in the Old Testament, and you know why. Because the Messiah was coming from Bethlehem. But if you type in the word Nazareth, zero. In the Old Testament, Nazareth is never mentioned, not one time. So when, when Nathaniel says, does anything good come out of Nazareth? He's saying, listen, you're telling me that the Son of God, that you've met the Son of God, and he's from Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I, I think you may have your scripture wrong, dude. And then he answers in a really cool way. He, just, he doesn't argue. He says, come and see. And guys, that's what you ought to do. That's what we ought to do when we are dealing with people when we are dealing with people that are arguing with us about the church, and I don't want to come to church because it's full of hypocrites, and there's all kinds of people in the church that this, that, and the other, and they give us all this, just lean back and say, listen, forget it. Just, just come and see for yourself. Just come and see for yourself. Check it out. If you get there and it's a horrible place, you've wasted an hour. If you're watching television, you waste an hour, so you're equal. You know, it's no big deal. Just come and see yourself. So that's what he says. Come and see yourself. Verse 47, Jesus sees Nathanael coming and issues an odd greeting. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, believe it or not, Jesus' story, Jesus' greeting here is a reference back to the story that we started with, believe it or not. You see, the younger brother's name was Jacob, and Jacob had his name changed by God to Israel he was the father of the nation 
people are, the, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. When you read the Bible, it talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It talks about these three. It talks about Israel, who is Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. And they had this thing in, in, in Hebrew understanding that fathers pass all this stuff down to their children. And so this deception thing was a part of who some of them were. And it's very obvious that Nathaniel didn't want that to be in him. He didn't want that deception. Now here's another little cool tidbit for you that you, know, you can throw away if you want to. Do you know what the word deception really means or the word deceit really means? The actual literal translation? Fish bait. I got three fishermen from Fish City. One of them says, I don't have any fish bait in me. That's sort of cool. What is fish bait? What do you do with fish bait? You go out and you fish. You're trying to deceive the fish. The fish sees and he thinks he's going to get lunch. When you see that what's going to happen, he's going to become lunch. That's the whole idea behind fishing. It's deceit. So I got the friends from Fish City. One of them has no deception in him. Nathaniel would have studied the scripture. He would have known verse 32 and said, How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. How joyful is a person in whose spirit is no deceit. And we know that Nathaniel tried to live his life that way. And we know that because instead of Jesus, when he says that, instead of Nathaniel going, well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say that. That's what you normally say when you get a compliment. Instead, he looks at him and says, how do you know me? How do you know me? I've been trying to live my whole life deceit-free. And here you say this, I've never met you. I don't know you. How do you know me? And Jesus says, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. What was Nathan, Nathaniel doing under that fig tree? Well, nobody really knows. There's a lot of speculation. But it's interesting, the four commentaries that I read about this, every one of them said that he was praying. Every one of them said he was studying. Every one of them said he was having a devotion. And since neither Jesus nor Nathaniel talked about that, I tried to follow that tradition back, and I couldn't find the origin of it. It's been there forever everybody sort of thinks that that's what Nathaniel was doing was sitting under the tree praying meditating over the scriptures and maybe he was thinking about Psalm 32 about being joyful if you have no deceit maybe he was reading about Jacob and Esau but he was doing something under that tree of a spiritual nature because when Jesus called him out he didn't get he didn't blush or fall on his face or repent or act funny he connected with Jesus he knew when he heard him he knew that he was the son of God I want you to think about something this is really the one of the bigger points of what we're talking about when Nathaniel was in his devotion Jesus saw him there. Now, how do we know what God does? We see Jesus. Jesus saw Nathaniel when he had his devotion. Do you think it's fair to say that when you sit down to pray and when you have your devotion, that Jesus sees you? You think that's fair to say? I think it is. 
And some of you people are a little odd. You get up insanely early. I know a couple of you that get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to have your devotion time. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, you go sit in your special place in your chair with a cup of coffee in the Bible, and you understand that Jesus sees you there. I want you to think about that tomorrow, that Jesus sees you there. I know a couple of you retired couples have told me that you sit down at night, uh, sit down in the morning with your husband, with your spouse, at the uh, kitchen table, and both of you read your devotions together, and you read the Bible and pray together. Do you know Jesus is watching the two of you? He sees you there. He hears you. He's a part of that event. I know that some of you right now are struggling with parents mothers fathers that have sickness cancer all sorts of things you're dealing with and you're there praying for them do you understand that when you are praying for them that he hears you that he is watching you that he is a part of that this isn't an exercise that you're doing hoping that he'll connect he's there he hears he's watching you Maybe Nathaniel was reading Psalm 139 that day that said, Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Can you imagine reading that and then having somebody say, you know what, while you were under the fig tree reading Psalm 139, I saw you there. There's only one person that could see me there, and that would be God. You must be the Son of God. Then Jesus responds to him and says, do you believe that I told you? Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than this? Now, the other translations have this as a statement instead of a question, and I like the statement better because the question sounds like Jesus is accusing him a little bit. And I don't think he's accusing. I think Jesus meant, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree. Dude, let me tell you something. You're going to see greater stuff than this. Just the fact that you saw me under the fig tree did it. Man, you just wait until you see the rest of what's going to happen. And then he refers back to the Jacob and Esau story one more time. He says, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob's mom sends him away. He goes to sleep with his head on a rock. He has a dream of a ladder with angels going up and down to heaven and back to earth. And he hears God say, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed because of you or through you. And Jesus tells Nathaniel and whoever else is standing there that day, you will see heaven opened and angels of God descending and ascending, not on a ladder, but on me. What Jesus is saying right there is, I am the ladder. I am the link. God, you, and I'm what brings you together. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to look at. The great things you're going to see is God coming down and you going up. I am the one that's going to make that happen. I am the one that's going to bring that together.
not a ladder, but me. And I want you to see what John's done in John chapter 1. He started in the beginning with a pre-existent God. And that, that, I'm telling you guys, that was one of the best points that I have ever made on this platform ever. I hope you remember it. I hope you use it. It was good. It was smart. It was inspired. You either believe in a pre-existent God or you believe in pre-existent matter. And those are your only two choices. If you believe in pre-existent God, then you believe in intelligent design and all of this was happened all of this happened because he wanted it to happen and he designed it this way and he designed each one of you before you were born, he knitted you together in your mother's womb or it was all an accident and you are what you are just because it happened. Those are your choices. And John's saying, listen, God was way out here. But then God became flesh. And then we understood he was the son of God. And now he's standing here right beside you. He has brought God from way out here to watching you when you say your prayers. He is that close to you. He is that close. In everything you do, in everything you suffer, in every joy you experience, Jesus is right there with you. Not because he accidentally got there, but because he chose you. And he chose to be with you. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know I don't know what to pray, Lord. I'm overwhelmed that when I sit down in my chair to read your scriptures, that you see me there. I'm overwhelmed that when I pray at the bedside of a church member in a hospital, you see us there. That when any of us prays, Father, in a crowd, in solitude, alone, you see us there. Lord, what kind of crazy love is it that you have for us? That while we were sinful and rebellious, you loved us. And instead of turning your back and sneering at us in disdain, instead you turned towards us and found us and called out our names. Father, we ask you, we've shared Jesus today with our friends in this room. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will tell them that they're found, that they didn't accident into you today, but that they, you were expecting them to be here, and you found them, and you will take away their sins, and you will give them new life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus your Savior? He is the ladder between us and God. He raises us up. He brings God to us. Is he your Savior? I invite you this morning to trust him as your Savior. If you want to join First Baptist, this is the time to do that. If you want to come to the altar and pray, it's time to do that. If you want to stay in your seat and pray, it's time to do that. But right now, before you walk out the doors and the world steals it all away from you, 
take just a moment and call out his name. And as you pray, remember, he's watching you. And he hears you like a father watches their child. Let's stand together.